With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and... Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup in the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Ada Shen is traveling this week. First, the news. In our 100th episode, a lukewarm deal is reached by China and U.S. trade negotiators in Washington. Hong Kong protests go even more international with the NBA. And local governments in China are running out of money. Here's your news. China's securities regulator pushed ahead with its promise to remove foreign ownership limits for domestic finance companies next year, a positive gesture from Beijing as a new round of trade negotiations with the U.S. takes place in Washington. Foreign firms would be allowed to take control of mainland-based futures companies, mutual funds, and security businesses starting as early as January 2020. In a basket of measures announced in July to further open up its financial system to the world, China's cabinet promised to move up the lifting of foreign ownership limits to 2020 from the previously announced target of 2021. A court in eastern China has made a landmark ruling in the country's first de facto personal bankruptcy case, setting a precedent that could support government efforts to set up a system allowing millions of indebted individuals and their creditors to resolve their financial disputes. The Intermediate People's Court in Wenzhou, a city renowned for its private entrepreneurship and private lending, said it had approved the legality of a bankruptcy agreement between an individual surnamed Tsai and his creditors. The court said this was the first such case in the country following a guideline published in July by government bodies, including the Supreme People's Court, to promote the establishment of a personal bankruptcy system. China still doesn't have a personal bankruptcy law, and the statement referred to Tsai's case as a personal debt clearance case that followed the same procedure as bankruptcy. That means that, for the first time, a case explored in an institutionalized way issues related to personal bankruptcy, such as limits on a debtor's liability and the loss and restoration of a debtor's rights. Kuwait's sovereign wealth fund has become the first foreign investor in China's state-of-the-art high-speed rail network, as the nation looks to bring more private money into a system whose construction has cost billions of dollars. 
The Kuwait Investment Authority has contributed $200 million to a $340 million high-speed rail investment fund organized by China's largest investment bank, CICC. Other investors include the Agricultural Bank of China, one of China's big four state-run banks. The fund will invest in a 300-kilometer line connecting Jinan and Qingdao, two major cities in East China's Shandong province. The fund will get a 7% stake in the rail line in exchange for the investment. Construction of the line cost about $8 billion and was completed last December. The project marked the first time a major foreign investor has participated in funding for China's vast high-speed rail network, which now boasts around 30,000 kilometers of track. The European Union imposed tariffs as high as 66% on steel road wheels from China, targeting manufacturers such as Zhejiang Jinggu and Xingmin Intelligent Transportation Systems. The duties punish Chinese exporters of steel wheels for vehicles including cars, tractors, and trailers for allegedly having sold them in the EU below cost, a practice known as dumping. Dumped imports of steel road wheels from China caused material injury to EU-based manufacturers of the goods, the European Commission, the 28-nation bloc's executive arm in Brussels, said on Thursday. The levies, due to take effect this week, will last six months and may be prolonged for five years. The firestorm engulfing gaming giant Blizzard Entertainment is deepening as players and staff are speaking out against the U.S. video game maker's suspension of a high-profile professional gamer who expressed sympathies for protesters rallying for the last four months in Hong Kong. On Tuesday, a small group of staff at Activision Blizzard's campus in Irvine, California, repeatedly staged a protest against the ban of Chung Eun Wai, also known as Blitz Chung. A number of gamers also took to social media to say they were canceling their Blizzard subscriptions while the hashtag BoycottBlizzard started trending on Twitter. Blizzard has not responded to Caixin's request for comment. While taking part in a live online interview during a tournament for players of the Blizzard-developed online card game Hearthstone over the weekend, the Hong Kong-based gamer used a slogan frequently heard at the city's anti-government demonstrations. Blizzard subsequently withheld Chung's prize money and suspended him from Hearthstone esports events for a year for bringing himself and the company into public disrepute, a punishment that Chung described as unfair. Chinese social media reaction to the news was harsher towards Chung's actions than was Western observers, with some users commending Blizzard for acting decisively on the issue. China's imports of U.S. pork surged to a weekly record after African swine fever devastated the Asian nation's hog herd. In the week ended October 3rd, imports soared to 140,000 metric tons, U.S. Department of Agriculture data showed. For all of September, shipments were a mere 19,000 tons. China signaled it may import as much as 400,000 tons to stem a domestic shortfall. The swine fever outbreak killed millions of pigs. The country also appeared poised to boost purchases of agricultural products as a goodwill gesture amid talks between Washington and Beijing on easing trade tensions. A trio of patriotic movies pushed China's box office to a new Golden Week holiday record as the country celebrated the 70th anniversary of its founding. 
Chinese people splashed out $620 million at the movies during the seven-day break, more than double the total for the last year's holiday. Three nationalistic titles, My People, My Country, The Captain, and The Climbers, made up 97% of ticket sales and dominated more than 90% of theater screens during the holiday. The top box office earner was My People, My Country, released by Alibaba Pictures. The movie portrays stories that depict the relationship between the country and its citizens based on seven memorable moments since 1949. The strong holiday box office growth bucked a downward trend for China's movie industry with ticket sales in the first half recording the first year-on-year decline in eight years. Let's turn now to Caixin Global Managing Editor Doug Young to chat about some of the events in the news. Okay, Doug, uh, we've got a couple of stories related to American business and China's extreme sensitivity over Hong Kong. Uh, What's the first one you want to tell us about? Yeah, the first story is, I think most of our listeners probably know a lot's been going on in Hong Kong these uh, last few months. A lot of uh, discontent involving uh, the government, and we won't go into all of that. But there's there's certainly been uh, some hostility towards the police. Uh, there's been a fair amount of violence, and especially in more recent weeks. So the story this week was basically there's this app called HKMap.Live, which apparently had quickly become a favorite among uh, the protesters in, in Hong Kong. Uh, and apparently this app lets you see in real time where the police are, where they are in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, obviously this is just for Hong Kong, um, where they aren't equally important. So basically the story is that Apple did a bit of a flip-flop. Uh, they were originally not going to put this thing up, but then they decided to go ahead and make it available on their app store. And then just late in the week, they basically pulled it again. They put out a pretty lengthy statement afterwards, basically saying, we received information from, surprise, surprise, the Hong Kong authorities, who were obviously going to be supportive of the police, uh, saying that protesters were using this to, I don't think they used the word ambush, but, you know, basically using it to prey on on maybe particular police officers, and then likewise to find places where there were no police officers, you know, basically using it to play a little bit of cat and mouse uh, and and maybe wreak some some havoc. You know, it sounds like a very strategic thing to me. I guess if you got this tool at your disposal and you're trying to avoid the police, why not? But Apple certainly didn't see it that way, and, and certainly the Hong Kong government didn't see it that way. Uh, you know, they thought that it was posing a, a threat to public security and to the police as well. So they had, I assume, had probably asked Apple to remove this. And Apple went ahead and, and obliged them. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a tough decision. I know uh, the next day after they took the app off, Tim Cook, Apple's uh, CEO, put out a, a pretty lengthy an internal email to employees, which conveniently got leaked to the media, uh, you know, saying that these are always difficult decisions, but, you know, you have to think about the law and public safety and this and that. And, you know, the, the case really does spotlight how companies often can get, especially when it comes to China, but not just China anywhere, you know, companies can sort of get caught in between what's profitable, what's good for their bottom line, and then, you know, what's, what's maybe moral or what's, what's, you know, within the law or whatever. And in this case, they obviously had to make a call. What's interesting, too, I guess, is that uh, Google 
which is the other major app store operator. They operate a Google Play Store in Hong Kong, and apparently the app is still available on uh, Google Play Store for the Hong Kong Google Play Store. Uh, so for whatever reason, Google didn't seem to think it was as big a threat, but I'm sure they've probably been lobbied just as intensely as Apple was. And, you know, who knows, maybe in the next few days, we'll see Google take it off as well. So back to what you were saying about companies choosing between values and values, I guess. Uh, the really big news all week was, of course, the controversy over the tweet by Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, the, the, the NBA in Hong Kong is, is sort of really another very similar case. And again, you know, with the case with Apple, it's Apple sort of choosing between profits. I mean, it, putting its, this app in its app store, you know, it, that's the bread and butter of an app store is to have apps. So if you don't have any apps, you're not going to earn any money. Likewise, uh, the NBA had their own little brouhaha going uh, over the same week. And it was a very similar issue. Uh, one of their team general managers, the Houston Rockets general manager, put some comments on his personal Twitter account in support of the Hong Kong protesters. And, you know, the, the Chinese or some, some Chinese immediately ran with that and said the NBA, you know, is condoning this Hong Kong violence. And, you know, China's obviously very against what's happening in Hong Kong. Uh, so it blew up into this huge firestorm, and ironically, uh, there's there's a an NBA preseason game was was going on, and the commissioner of the NBA is in uh, China this week, and he was going to have give a press conference, and that got canceled. But anyhow, it's been a rough seventy two hours, whatever three days for the NBA in China. But you know, the NBA, uh, to their credit, they came out fairly strongly on the side of free speech. They said, you know, uh, the NBA is a non-political organization, but it supports, you know, everybody's right to say whatever they want, because this was the general manager of the Rockets giving a, a personal opinion, not speaking on behalf of the NBA. But of course, that doesn't wash well in China. But from what I've heard, actually, it does seem like China may be overestimated. Chinese media sometimes work themselves up into a frenzy. And it seems like maybe uh, the authorities or whoever in China are a little worried that this could get a little bit out of control. And it sounds like maybe the media have been told to sort of tamp it down a little bit. So it's, it's been difficult for the NBA, but they pretty much stuck by their guns. The, the Rockets guy removed his tweet later. The NBA came out and said, you know, I don't think they did said anything on Hong Kong. They just said, we're not a political organization. We don't comment on politics. You know, they did what they needed to do. But there's no question they're going to pay for it big time because all sorts of uh, their partners in China, where they're incredibly popular, have like dropped sponsorships and temporarily suspended games and, and stuff like that. So sure, the NBA will, will pay a, a pretty penny for all this. Well, we'll see if they manage to completely make up in the end because, you know, we all know that Chinese fans just love their basketball. Okay, Doug, we will check in with you again later, and thanks a lot. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Lee Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. You can subscribe to our newsletter 
at subchina.com.